Some assembly required. Those may be the most dreaded words in the world for a parent to see on the night before Christmas. Those words, some assembly required, they can strike fear into even the most confident adult's heart when those words are on a toy package. One of the proverbial challenges for parents at Christmas time is the frantic assembling of toys for their children late into the night before Christmas morning. There are many sad tales of disaster and disappointment told by parents who have unsuccessfully struggled to put toys together, bikes with brakes that don't work, wobbly doll houses with missing walls, furniture that never looks like the picture on the box, toys that don't make sounds because the battery compartment could never be located, toys that will remain forever in their packaging because you couldn't figure out how to get it free from the packaging. It's not always the case, but much of this misery comes from a failure to read and follow the directions. Instead of reading the instructions, we launch into the project thinking, I don't have time to read the directions. How hard can it be? It's a toy. I can figure it out easy enough. And then reality begins to slowly creep in over our heart. Much of the misery in our life comes from a failure to read and follow the directions too. The Lord's given us His Word to guide us through this life, and failing to read and follow it can lead to frustration, wasted time, unpredictable outcomes, similar to what happens when we don't read and follow the directions that come with Christmas toys. We're continuing a series of Bible studies this morning looking at the basic blueprint that the first believers followed found in Acts 2.42 to remind us of the essentials that we need to be devoting ourselves to as followers of Jesus. Let's flip over to Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. These four things mentioned that the early Christians devoted themselves to form the foundation of their lives and their church. They were the apostles' teaching, or the word of God, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, or worshiping. And prayer. We talked about worship last time, and today we're going to talk about the Word of God. They devoted themselves to the Apostles' teaching or to the Word of God. They they gathered together regularly to listen to and learn from the Apostles as they taught the people about Jesus Christ and the things that Jesus had taught them. You might remember the Great Commission by Jesus given to his followers includes a call to learn and to teach the Word of God, Matthew 28. 18, when Jesus, he called them to him and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples 
of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Remember, a disciple is a student, a learner, someone who is seeking to duplicate their master in themselves. And in our case, we're seeking to duplicate Jesus, copy him, imitate him. Well, how do we devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching in our day since we don't have the apostles present with us? We devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching by devoting ourselves to learning the Bible since it contains what the apostles taught. And in our day, there are an overwhelming number of ways available for learning the Bible, the Word of God. There are church services and small groups and Bible studies and live-streamed and recorded teachings and books and videos and websites and on and on. In fact, there is no other subject in all of the world that is more available to more people more affordably than Bible teaching. The only thing that, present, that prevents us from devoting ourselves to learning the Word of God is the personal discipline needed to take advantage of the many opportunities available to us. The Word of God transforms our thinking and it reveals the will of God to us. Flip over to Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. We looked at verse 1 of this passage last time when we were talking about worship. We're told to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice to the Lord as an act of worship. We want our whole life to be an act of worship. And then in the next verse, verse 2 of this same passage, we're told to be transformed. And that, that transformation, it takes place through the renewing of our mind, making it possible for us to discover the will of God for us. Romans 12, 1, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Let's take a closer look at this verse for a bit. It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. The word translated conform, it means to take the shape of something. We're not to take on the shape of this world and this culture and this society that we live in. We're not to look to the culture and society around us as the pattern for us to follow. And that can be a huge challenge to not adopt the standards of our culture. The voices of our culture are constantly speaking into our life, telling us how to think. It tells us here, don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. The Greek word that's translated transformed is metamorpho, which we get the word metamorphosis from. In English, you might remember a metamorphosis is a word that we use to describe things like the transformation that takes place when a caterpillar becomes a butterfly. In contrast to shaking, shaping ourselves to the pattern of this word, we're to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. 
We have the perfect one, Jesus, to imitate and seek to pattern our life after. We're, we're part of a new kingdom, the kingdom of God. And as citizens of this new kingdom, we have a new way of living. We have new goals. We have new concerns. We have new purposes. We have a new standard to live by. First Peter 1.14, Peter says it this way. He says, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, talking about your life before you became a follower of Jesus, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. It says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This transformation, it takes place through the renewing of our mind, our thinking, our understanding of reality, the way we react to situations and circumstances, the way we see ourselves, the choices we make. Our mind, as the word is used here in this context, is the core of who we are. It's that part of us that does the thinking, problem-solving, choosing, directing of ourself. It's the fundamental me that determines the choices and actions I take. When my mind is transformed, I am transformed. This transformation is done by the Holy Spirit. And we cooperate with the transforming work of the Holy Spirit by walking in the Spirit, living in step with the Spirit, as it says in Galatians 5, by doing those things that cooperate with and are consistent with His good work that He's doing in us. And how do we learn what the Holy Spirit is seeking to do in us so that we can cooperate with that work He's doing in us? Through the Word of God, the Bible, which reveals God's will and purpose for us. Paul wrote in Colossians 3.5, he said, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self and its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. It says, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. By testing, measuring, comparing everything in our life with the life of Jesus and the Word of God, we're able to discover, determine, figure out, assess, understand God's will for us. Do you know what a touchstone is? A touchstone is a reference or standard against which something is evaluated or tested to determine its quality. As a follower of Jesus, our touchstone is Jesus Christ, the living Word of God. He's our standard against which we compare and test the quality of our life, our character, our behavior. And the Bible is our main reference for doing that. So now you know the meaning behind the name of our church, Touchstone Christian Fellowship. It refers to our touchstone, Jesus Christ, the living Word of God. To summarize the ideas then drawn from Romans 12, 1 and 2, our living sacrifice, 
which is a life lived as an act of worship to the Lord, becomes more beautiful and pure as we are transformed, living increasingly in conformity with his perfect will. One of my favorite stories in the Bible about people who loved learning the word of God is found in Nehemiah chapter 8. You can flip over there. We'll take a look at that story. Uh, Nehemiah is probably in the dusty part of your Bible. If you did a fan fold, you go first and second Samuel, first and second Kings, first and second Chronicles. You're starting to get closer. You're getting warmer. You're getting warmer. You're getting warmer. Ezra and then Nehemiah. And if the fan fold won't work, you can always go back to the table of contents. It's a very reliable place to find things. It's kind of like reading the directions, though, isn't it? Who wants to go to the table of contents? I can figure this out. I mean, how hard can it be? I'm all the way back over in Colossians. I think I went too far. Yeah, you went too far. You need to go back the other direction. So Nehemiah chapter 8. The books of Ezra and Nehemiah, they tell the story of the return of the Jewish exiles from Babylonian captivity. And when these people, they arrived back in Jerusalem, there was not much left of their old home. Ezra, he served as a spiritual leader of the people, helping to reestablish their spiritual life following the rebuilding of the temple. And then Nehemiah, he came and he led a massive operation to rebuild the protective walls around the city of Jerusalem and establish leadership and government for the people. So in Nehemiah chapter 8, we're actually going to be, begin reading uh, at the very end of the last verse of chapter 7. There, there's a weird chapter break that they made here, so that they left like part of the sentence that we need for the first verse of chapter 8, they, they left it back over in chapter 7. So we need to look at a little bit of that. It says, When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So following the completing of the city wall around Jerusalem, the people, they gathered together in the city square to listen to Ezra read the word of God to them. And the first thing that strikes us in this first verse are the words, they told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book. The people asked Ezra to do this. They wanted him to teach the word of God to them. They are eager and hungry for the word of God. They're committed to learning the Bible. And may the Lord give us that same kind of eagerness to learn his word. Verse 2 says, So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read aloud, from daybreak till noon, as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand, and all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. People of all ages, men, women, children old enough to understand, they gather to listen to the word of God being read to them by Ezra. 
And it says that Ezra read the word of God to them from daybreak until noon, which would have been a period of about five hours. And it says, all the people listened attentively. Can you imagine standing there listening attentively to the Old Testament books of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy being read to you for five hours? Those are the books that were being read to them for five hours. Now, we have trouble sitting for 30 minutes listening to a very dynamic teaching on a Sunday morning, right? Much less five hours of reading from the Old Testament. It shows the tremendous respect and honor these people had for the Word of God, doesn't it? Verse 4, Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a wooden, high wooden platform built for the occasion, and beside him on his right stood a whole bunch of guys, and on his left were a bunch of other guys. And Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them, and as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. So Ezra, he stood on this special wooden platform that had been built for this occasion so all the people could see and hear. He was accompanied by 13 elders of the people on his right and his left. And as Ezra opened the book, all the people, it says they stood up showing again this incredible respect and reverence that they had for the word of God. And Ezra, he praised the great God, the Lord. And the people responded shouting, Amen, Amen. And then they bowed down with their faces to the ground and they worshiped the Lord. What an awesome sight it must have been to see that crowd of people bowing down and worshiping the Lord together like this. These people are filled with this deep, solemn respect for the Word of God. They see it as a holy thing. They listen to it as it is the words coming directly from the lips of God. Verse 7 says, The Levites, and they're named here, instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. So while the word of God was being read to the people, the Levites, the spiritual leaders of the people, they're going out among the people, explaining to them so they can understand what it means and how to apply it in their lives. They're having a big Bible study is what they're doing. And then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest, and teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people have been weeping as they listened to the words of the Lord. It says the, 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 the people were weeping. They, they began weeping as the word of God was being read and explained to them, they, they were being cut to the heart with conviction about their sin and their neglect for the word of God. It, it's a beautiful thing to witness people who are humble before the word of God and allowing it to speak to them. The tears that repentance produces are healing tears. 
Well, at the same time, it says that Nehemiah, Ezra, and the Levites, they, they tell the people to stop weeping, that this is a day for rejoicing. The Lord has blessed them. He's brought them back to their homeland from captivity. He's blessed them with a rebuilt temple and walls of security around their city. The reading and the teaching of the Word of God is being restored to them. Their great and awesome God has done great and awesome things for them. Rejoice, praise the Lord for what He's doing. Verse 10, Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks. Send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink to send portions of food, and to celebrate with great joy because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. Nehemiah tells them, the joy of the Lord is your strength, in verse 10. The word translated strength, it refers to a stronghold, a fortress, a rock, a place of security and safety and power. So, so think about that. The joy of the Lord... The joy of the Lord is a stronghold, a fortress, a place of security and safety and power for us. If, if all I have to hope for in this life is this life, then I have very little reason to rejoice. But when I remember that my great and awesome God has stooped down into this life to rescue me, to redeem me, to forgive me of my sin, to give me a purpose and a future forever with him, then I have reason to rejoice. The joy of the Lord is my strength in this life. It says, then all the people, they, they went away to celebrate with great joy because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. The word of God can make our hearts sing when we are hungry for it and it's proclaimed and explained to us well. When the word of God is skillfully taught under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, it has a powerful effect upon our hearts and great joy is the result. I mean, few things fill my heart with joy in the same way as Listening to the word of God skillfully taught under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. My spirit is fed. My soul is set on fire with excitement and joy. There's nothing like it. One last observation before moving on from this story is after completing the wall around the city, the first significant thing Nehemiah does to rebuild the Jewish community here is to institute the reading and the teaching of the Word of God. This is where reform in our life begins too, with reading and learning the Word of God. This old book is not like any other book. It contains the Word of God. And the Holy Spirit uses the reading and the learning of the Word of God to profoundly change us. Regular Bible reading is essential to our spiritual growth. 2 Timothy 3.16, Paul wrote, 
All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I've uh, done this in the past on occasion, and I want to do it again today as we wrap this up, is talk about how to read the Bible a bit. If you already have some kind of regular Bible reading method that you use, I encourage you to keep doing it. Just keep at it. Now, if you don't have a regular habit of reading the Bible, I want to give you some very simple suggestions to get you started. First is get a modern English translation of the Bible, such as the NIV, the ESV, the New King James, the New Living Translation. The original King James Version has a beautiful poetic style to it because of its antique English, but most people today are better off reading a more modern English translation so that you understand what you're reading. It's important that we understand what we're reading, Most of us have enough trouble understanding 21st century English, much less English from 1611. Words have changed meaning, and if if you're not up on those old English words and what they mean, you can get confused at times even. So I want to encourage you, if you go, ah... King James is good enough for Paul. It's good enough for me. If you're one of those kind of people, it's like, that's okay. But I want to encourage you to get a modern English translation so that you understand what you're reading alongside that then. Second, read a book of the Bible from start to finish. Don't skip around reading a little bit of one book of the Bible and then reading a little bit of another book of the Bible. We don't do that with other books that we read. Why would we do that with the Bible? There are 66 separate books that are bound together into this single volume that we call the Bible. Treat each of those books as a complete unit. Don't treat the Bible like it's a magic charm. What I mean by that is, and don't raise your hand if you've done this, because most... Most of us have done some version of this at some point in our life. Closing your eyes, praying, and then flipping the Bible open to some random location, dropping your finger in the page, and the first thing that you start reading, you take as God's guidance for you. That kind of behavior is never modeled in the Bible anywhere. That's superstitious behavior. Need to be careful. You might find Cain murdered his brother. Go and do likewise. So don't do that. I understand the desire to, to have God speak to you in the moment about the thing that you have a concern about. We all share that same desire. But we're not always going to hear God speak to us when and in the way that we want him to. The Lord wants us to trust him at all times, both when he speaks clearly to us and when he's silent. 
if you don't know which book of the Bible to start with, I suggest the Gospel of Mark is a good place to start and then move your way through other New Testament books. You don't have to read the books in the Bible in the order that they appear in the Bible, but read a whole book at a time. Does that make sense? So you can read Mark, and then you can read Matthew, even though Matthew shows up first in this bound volume. But I want you to read all of Mark before then you go to Matthew, for example. Read a chapter or two each day. Try to be consistent, reading every day. Don't panic when you say, a chapter! chapter in the Bible is only about a page long, usually. It's not required, but keeping a journal of your reading can uh, help keep you on track. And a simple method for a Bible journal is to follow the acronym SOAP. Maybe you uh, have heard that one before. There are a number of different ones, but I think SOAP is one of the easiest ones to remember. Uh, it stands for Scripture, observation, application, and prayer. So uh, in your journal, the scripture, you would write down the scripture reference that you read. Observation, you would write down an observation about the reading. Application, you would write down then an application for your life drawn from the reading. How, how can you use this in your life? What kind of action are you going to take in response to what you've read? That, that kind of thing. And then prayer, you spend some time praying, talking with the Lord about what you've read. And you can write down the, that prayer, the whole prayer or a gist of it. You can uh, perhaps write down prayer requests that you are making, and you can you know, then look back later and see how the Lord answered your prayers. Uh, but that, that is a very basic and very cheap kind of uh, Bible journal that you can uh, do. Now, a cautionary note about this stuff is I want to say, don't get legalistic about this stuff. Don't get legalistic about this. Discipline is good. Being consistent is good. Putting effort into it is good. But don't equate the quality of your relationship with God and the quality of your daily Bible reading and prayer. They're not equivalent with each other. I've seen Christians living under a cloud of guilt because they're struggling with having a daily time of Bible reading and prayer and they, they miss it one day or they put it off till the end of the day and they're, they're just walking around with all this guilt. You don't need that. Lord's not asking that from you. This should be a joyful thing. Something that you look forward to. You are setting some time aside to meet with your Heavenly Father. You're God's child whether you read your Bible today or not. He loves you whether you had a good time of prayer today or not. Your relationship with the Lord should be filled with peace and joy in the Holy Spirit rather than guilt over failing to do your quiet time. But just like physical exercise, you're going to get out of your Bible reading and prayer what you put into it. If you're skipping lots of workout days and expecting to see physical fitness improvement in your life, you're kidding yourself, right? And the similar thing 
in our spiritual life. If you're skipping lots of days and not putting genuine effort into your Bible reading and prayer, you're probably not going to see a lot of spiritual fitness improvement. In closing today, uh, let's devote ourselves to the Word of God. I close with Psalm 19, verse 7 through 11. Psalmist writes, The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And we ask, Lord, that you would give us a desire for your word, a hunger for your word. Like these people that we read about today in the book of Nehemiah, Lord. We would honor it. and We would want to learn it and take it into our life, Lord, and allow it to transform us and renew our minds, changing us. We would become more and more like Jesus through it. We pray these things in his name. Amen.